A lot of people are talking about a very puzzling question. Why did Governor Yunkin host an LGBT Pride Month event in the Capitol Rotunda? Plus, violent threats continue against our justices and pro-life clinics as the nation anxiously awaits a final decision on whether the Supreme Court will at last overturn Roe v. Wade. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, and I'm joined today by our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, I had the very interesting experience of actually serving as a commencement speaker for a homeschool graduation ceremony. I have to say, it was really a special thing to be a part of. I loved how they had the parents awarding the diplomas, you know, as when the students walked across the stage. I thought that was really cool. It did kind of make me feel old to be the actual speaker and be having all these memories from my high school graduation. Um, but... I, it made me think about graduations, and we had a coworker the other day say that his fifth grade age child had a graduation ceremony. I don't understand that. What's going on with that? Yeah, I mean, let me start with homeschool graduations because I do think they're really special. And I think they're the closest thing to when God tells us to train up our own children and you literally see the parent handing to the degree. It's like, yes, this is this is so much how I think it was intended to be, even though there's lots of other options. So it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. Um, but yeah, these fifth grade graduations, I mean... Uh, it's it's wonderful to celebrate our kids' accomplishments, but the irony of right now where our test scores are so bad. Now, now his was a private school, totally yeah. different thing, but I keep thinking about, look, the, we're doing more and more celebrations of our kids like they've conquered the world every year, and unfortunately our reading and math scores are going down, 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 down. You know, I mean, I, I don't <laughs> – Somehow we got to get this thing aligned where we're actually yeah. accomplishing something great, like we're really, really doing well on these tests. And then let's celebrate some graduations or whatever, I guess, as they move to the middle school. Yeah, because it's getting to the crazy level where you're having like even kindergarten. First OK, but grade. that's just darn cute. I mean, that's just for the pictures. <laughs> I, I that's for the I have to say I'm a fan of the preschool and the <laughs> kindergarten oh graduations goodness. because I think they are adorable. <laughs> I mean, we just had the little requisite picture with, you know, the marquee fifth grade class. We had no big ceremonies. I just don't understand exactly what's happening. Well, my poor kids get deprived because their school doesn't even do elementary, middle and high. They do lower up until sixth grade. And then in seventh grade, you transition to high. And it's kind of a non-event. You're on the same campus. There's not a graduation. So my kids, you get one graduation and that's senior year and that is it. Okay. (laughs) So it depends. Yeah, I think that's more reasonable. I mean, do you think we're kind of getting into the area of on the baseball team, everybody getting a trophy no matter what. <laughs> 100%. That is where we are. And it and it, and it does affect – I really do think it is overall not a good trend. We, we aren't – got to tell our kids we're, we're happy for your hard work, um, but we got to be careful not to over-celebrate every moment in time where kids think that there's going to be, you know, a grandstand audience, of, you know, appraising them the rest of their lives because we know that's not adulthood. Yeah, really good point. Doesn't it make you think about that scene from the original Incredibles when the parents are arguing because the dad doesn't want to go to the son's fourth grade graduation? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I can't believe you don't want to go to your own son's graduation. It's not a graduation. He is moving from the fourth grade to the fifth grade. It's a ceremony. It's psychotic. And I will say some of these things that the schools create, parents do literally in private conversation fight over like, okay, one of us has to go, but there really is no reason for whatever this event is. So yeah, that's 
pretty classic. Well, before we get into this latest mystery, or maybe I should say controversy involving our governor, I just wanted to mention that we are continuing to see this very disturbing escalation of violence from radical abortion supporters. Yeah, we learned a few days ago, actually, about this guy that showed up at the home of Justice Kavanaugh around 2 a.m. in the morning with a suitcase containing a gun. Um, He turned himself over to the police, thankfully, and confessed that his intention was actually to murder the justice. And apparently it was because he was so upset that the court might overturn Roe and, interestingly enough, that he was concerned that the justice might not support gun restrictions. Yeah, first of all, I'm just not even going to try to get my mind around someone who is worried about gun restrictions simultaneously <laughs> while while simultaneously planning to murder someone with a gun. So there's that part. But in all seriousness, what is so maddening when I hear about this is how the current administration in D.C. and even, as you've pointed out, uh, Victoria and some of the surrounding Fairfax areas, they've pretty much turned a blind eye to these protests in front of the justices' homes. And you know, people are putting them at real risk here by publishing their home addresses online. It just feels like we're inviting violent anarchy at this point. Yeah, and the reaction to your point has not been, I think, strong enough from many, many in leadership. So we have, you know, people saying these protests have been peaceful. You remember the the Biden press secretary actually basically made it sound like, oh, there's nothing going on here when we know there is something going on here. And I mean, more than that, and I mean, I'll admit that that comment was before the arrest. So I don't want to say that maybe they aren't taking a slightly more serious, I hope they're taking a more serious approach, but I haven't really heard as much as I'd like to hear about this. But also, there's a bill sitting before the House of Representatives that they've stalled for a month to add more security. It's literally to beef up the protection of our justices, and it's just stalling. Well, I guess they can just go back to their, it's mostly peaceful now, even though, even though we have a <laughs> it's would-be not mostly pe- It's not mostly peaceful, clearly. <laughs> Well, you know, exactly. And remember when Senator Schumer practically threatened the justices last summer. Let's just listen to his words. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. First of all, that is so irresponsible. I cannot believe that he actually felt. I mean, I, I take that almost as a threat. I mean, that statement is almost threatening. And It's just so frustrating because leftists are the ones who are always telling us that words are violence. And he's literally laid it out there. And now we've had someone react and actually take him up on what he is saying. And the irony of this in this moment is that on television right now, all we're hearing about are January 6th trials. And they're literally the whole thing is about were President Trump's words what incited these people. But they're silent on this. If you believe that somehow President Trump incited something on January 6th, you have to also believe that Schumer has now incited this assassination. It can't be one without the other. Right. The concern clearly cuts just one direction. And apparently the concern disappears entirely when it's you know, a convenient way to censor conservatives. Um, But unfortunately, I'm sorry to say this violence is not limited to just these protests and things happening in front of the justices' homes. We updated listeners before about these attacks happening on pro-life clinics around the country. And sadly, we're seeing that escalating. 
Yeah, unfortunately, we've we've mentioned it about what happened in Wisconsin, and now we've had other instances. The one uh, people are talking about in the news right now is is one that took place in Amherst, New York, with a pregnancy resource center, and really left the, the building unusable. I mean, it was um, firebombs again through through the windows, so very concerning. And then in Asheville, North Carolina, the Mountain Area Pregnancy Services Clinic had its windows busted out, and again with the spray paint, the messages that they keep doing, um, it said, "If abortions aren't safe, neither are you." Same thing we saw in Wisconsin. Yeah. And in that Wisconsin case, remember that a group called Jane's Revenge took credit for that. And now this Jane's Revenge stuff seems to be spreading across the country. Um, In fact, this group has now called for a, quote, night of rage on the evening of the Supreme Court decision when it comes out. And I'll just read a few quotes from their statement here from Jane's Revenge. They say, quote, the next step is carrying that anger out into the world and expressing it physically. And then they end their statement with these words, quote, to those who work to oppress us, if abortion isn't safe, you aren't either. We are everywhere, unquote. Victoria, what do you make of that? Yeah, it's this is incredibly unnerving, of course, especially for anyone who's in the movement doing anything just to think about that there are people really out there to harm others. But also, I'll tell you, um, there's some polling out there that suggests that more and more people are getting comfortable with violence as a political end. Basically, they're okay. I, I saw one poll that particularly asked questions like, are you okay participating in a rally if you know it might end in violence? Yes. I mean, like uh, certain demographics are in the 40 percent and even questions like, is it ever OK to um, to shoot a politician? You know, I don't think it said mm-hmm. shoot. I think it said harm. But physically harm was the question. And some demographics were 40 to 44 percent like young Democrat men. But also there was a Republican number that wasn't. Good. I mean, it. I think our society has really lost its mind on this idea. And Absolutely. I think I think I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think when we've had riots across the country on different issues, that's not helping. We're just sort of in this burn it down, harm people to get our political end. And we're it's it's going to result in more and more trouble. Yeah, I think that's a really clear signal that we are losing our moral underpinnings, our roots as a nation. People do not have that as a baseline anymore. And ironically, you know, as we are waiting for this decision to come out on the sanctity of life, this is a clear indication that we do not know what it means to respect human life anymore. That that translates. Well, yeah. Into, keep, well, keep in mind, our, if most of our society does not believe in God anymore, then politics becomes this much elevated. You can't just have a conversation. This is the most important thing is to get your political ends, because that's really what we we sort of worship at the altar of our ideology now. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden there's no grounding in how you react as a result of what happens in the political space. So that's it's a problem. Thanks for joining us for Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. If you're enjoying the show, help us encourage others to speak up by giving us a five-star review and sharing it with friends. Thanks for listening. All right, well, let's get into this whole controversy our governor has recently found himself in the middle of, and this whole thing has to do with Pride Month, right? Yeah, and just in case you're confused, because I'm sorry, I get a little exhausted about all of this, but we've already had Transgender Visibility Day. We've already had Day of Silence in our schools. We've already had National Coming Out Day and LGBT History Month. But no, we got one more. This is June is considered Pride Month. And in Richmond, they're not even leaving it to a Pride Month. They're calling it the Endless Summer of Pride. And their last event in this month is September 24th. Guess when fall starts? We're actually bleeding into my next season. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, this has become a thing. And it's, uh, you know, so anyway, to top all this off, we're in 
Pride Month, I guess, and we find out that this invitation has gone out from our governor, Governor Yunkin, to invite certain LGBTQ activists to come to the Capitol Rotunda for an event. Yeah, I, I think we have to be honest here and say this was quite a disappointment to many Christians who had really appreciated the governor's strong stances on religious freedom and parental rights. You know, for example, the governor came out with a really strong statement on behalf of the teacher, Tanner Cross, who was fired in Loudoun County after saying very boldly at a school board meeting that he could not follow any school policy that was going to require him to lie to his students about how God created them and their biological gender. So, you know, the governor took very principled stances like that. And then he turns around and sends out this invitation to left-wing activists who are aggressively working against those religious freedoms. So what's going on, Victoria? I mean, is he trying to have it both ways here, or what do you think? I mean, I don't want to speak to his motivation because I haven't had that conversation with him yet. Um, But what I would say is that a lot of people think there's a way to... um, they think they're being loving and just having conversation, but what they're really doing is continuously elevating these, uh, these, this agenda, and it really is an agenda. And so, what's really concerning is that when this, this, when we promote this stuff, we just further all the instances that we see in all the schools on transgenders and the protection issues and Tanner Carl. Everything you mentioned is what we're doing when we support these pride events. So it's really disappointing. But the funny and I mean, I just found this unbelievable. The, the, the really ironic part of this whole thing is he wasn't just criticized by Christians. Turns out that and this is not a surprise to those of us that are in the movement, but it turns out that he was criticized by the LGBTQ crowd because they called him a hypocrite because he has done these good things on on marriage has had strong statements about um, transgender issues in time, you know, in certain cases. And so what they basically said is this is um, symbolic. We want action. And our point is you can never, ever satisfy or appease the LGBT crowd because the agenda is ever growing and they want more and more and they don't just want you to be okay with it they want you to affirm it and make a path for it so the bottom line is it didn't really serve him in any direction because everyone was unhappy you know i found it interesting that their statement they did a joint press release from some of these different lgbtq activists and quote queer equality groups um actually accused the governor of gaslighting their community. I just found that interesting that they use that word gaslight. But their grievances, because they had this list of grievances, are kind of that he doesn't come out and embrace stuff. Like, he didn't overtly endorse gay marriage, you know. He didn't overtly endorse um, males competing in female sports. So it's that he's not coming out and embracing things. It's not enough that he just maybe doesn't say anything, you know. Full capitulation is the goal, and anything less is not going to be acceptable. We've been saying that for years to people who are trying to, and I'm not speaking specifically of Governor Young, because, again, I don't know his motivation, but two politicians who are trying to uh, walk this tightrope, there, there is no fine line between religious freedom and sexual freedom. One will always interfere, interfere with the other, and they need all of it. They need acceptance and agreement and, you know, endorsement. Yeah, it reminds me when I was working at Focus on the Family and we exposed these classroom materials that were actually being given to students that actually said tolerance wasn't good enough. This was on a worksheet and it said it told kids nothing short of acceptance and celebration was the appropriate level of response to LGBTQ values. And I I just think people don't realize that that's actually the end game here, like you're saying. Um, you know, this isn't a live and let live philosophy at the end of the day. It's it's like you were talking about earlier. It's an alternative religion. 
you must embrace it. There is no middle ground here. And every time someone celebrates pride, everyone in that context has to make a decision. Do I join the celebration or do I have to make some statement that I don't really intend to make? I'm not trying to say something hateful or harmful, but I don't want to participate in a, in a celebration. Every time someone does that, they're creating a religious freedom conflict for a lot of people. Yeah. And apparently, you know, that kind of philosophy where you have to totally embrace does not leave a lot of room for religious freedom. Um, But there was one encouraging thing, Victoria, that we saw the other day, and that was some very courageous major league baseball players that have taken a bold stance in refusing to kind of drink the Kool-Aid and wear this LGBTQ insignia on their ball caps and uniforms. Yeah, it's actually really nice when we can talk about something good here where we can highlight an act of courage. There are actually these five baseball players on the Tampa Bay Rays baseball team. They're all pitchers, but they actually said they weren't going to wear this. You know, there's always these this expectation that you're going to wear a certain attire for Pride Night. And they responded that while they love and welcome other individuals that believe differently about this, they can't personally endorse something that conflicts with truth. Here's what one of the pitchers, Ryan Thompson, said to the news media, quote, those of us who decided not to wear the patch or hat spent a couple of weeks in prayer and a deep dive into scripture. He added, if I believe the Bible is infallible and that everlasting life is attainable, yet I bow down to public opinion in the name of tolerance. Is that love? I don't think so. Wow, that is so powerful. And really, it's just really inspiring to see a public figure being willing to sacrifice, you know, whatever is going to happen and the fallout of that and the flack that they are going to get, he is sacrificing that for conviction. So I'm just so encouraged by that. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! Well, just when I thought I'd seen it all as far as the links people will go to to push sexual agendas into schools, it appears that the Biden administration has brought things to a new level, or should I say stoop to a new low, because it sure looks like the administration is actually trying to use school lunches to blackmail schools into compliance with the LGBTQ agenda. Yeah, you really cannot make this stuff up. I'm looking at a press release here from the U.S. Department of Agriculture announcing that it is now applying Biden's executive order, which bans discrimination against, quote, gender identity and sexual orientation. They are applying that to food assistance programs for schools. So in practice, what that's going to mean is that those uh, those free lunch programs are not going to be able to be administered in schools that don't allow biological boys to enter girls' bathrooms or who don't allow biological boys to compete in girls' sports, uh, that they're just not going to get that federal funding for those free meals. Yeah, and that would include lunch and breakfast. Apparently, all that has to happen is someone file a discrimination complaint and all of a sudden, you know, lower income kids aren't getting these much needed meals. So, I think this literally is the federal government's version of the schoolyard bully. You know, that guy that comes in and takes the little kids lunch money. The Biden administration has now made Uncle Sam that guy. But seriously, think about this. They are using the threat of losing lunches for poor children to force schools and families in those schools to bow to this agenda because they're banking on the fact that nobody's going to have the guts to stand up to this, that they don't want to risk the political fallout as a school administrator of taking away underprivileged kids' meals. 
The bottom line here is that they're prioritizing sexual indoctrination over the real health needs of low-income kids. But there is some good news that we're actually starting to see some significant pushback from conservative governors. So we, now we have, for example, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida, who has been fighting hard to defend parental rights already. Everybody sort of knows him from the other stuff that's going on. But he's now saying he's not going to back down either. Let's just listen to what he had to say in a recent press conference. Part of it are intentionally destructive policies, like trying to deny school lunch programs for states that don't do transgender ideology and the schools I mean give me a break totally off his rocker to be doing that we're fighting on that don't worry well I have to say he certainly doesn't mince words does he's calling the president off his rocker yeah, and I like how he described this as an intentionally destructive policy. You know, we see this over and over again, where the left is willing to do whatever it takes to further their policies, even if it means depriving hungry kids of food or firebombing pregnancy resource centers. Yeah, right. And I also think it's worth pointing out one other little irony. Did you notice the phrasing in the Department of Agriculture's press release? It actually said here that it was doing this to help, quote, promote nutrition security. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of having trouble connecting the dots between threatening to take kids' school lunches and increasing food security. It's just not adding up for me. And with that, we're awarding today's Inconceivable Award to President Biden and his agricultural department for becoming the new schoolyard bully. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time. And don't forget, we are stronger when we speak together.